Matthew 3, 13 through 17, again, committed, tested, and empowered. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We just came through the Christmas season. During the Christmas season, we remind ourselves that God became man and was born into this world to redeem humanity. We identify his divinity, but we often fail to recognize that he was a human being, just like you and I. What he did, everything he did on this planet, he did as a man empowered by the Spirit of God. We are in no way saying that Jesus was not God. He was God. But Philippians chapter 2 implies that he left his deity, he put it aside. In other words, he didn't function in his Godhood while on this planet. He functioned as a man empowered by the Spirit of God and as a man empowered by the Spirit of God. He is, of course, our Savior. He is, of course, our Lord, but he's also our example. How do you live this life? How do you live the Christian life? You look to Jesus. So what he did, he did not as God, but as, as a man. And as a man, we want to look at how the Lord was committed, how he was tested, and he was, how he was empowered, and how that applies to us today. So first of all, we see that Jesus committed his all. So uh, again, our text says Jesus came from Galilee uh, to be baptized by John. John didn't want to do it. And Jesus said, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. In committing his all, the first thing Jesus did was he was baptized in water. Now, we're not going to get into a theological discussions. We know people come from all different backgrounds. Uh, I will just tell you what I believe. What I believe the Bible teaches is the Bible teaches uh, baptism by immersion because of the uh, symbol behind it. You are dying to yourself, to your old man. You are coming up again. You're living a new life. I believe the Bible teaches that baptism is a product of identifying with what God has done in your heart, in your being, and making a public example uh, to everyone around you of what God has done in your heart. And to be honest with you, I believe that's why some people today fail because they try to hide what Jesus has done in their heart instead of learning how to be bold about standing for Jesus. Okay? But that aside, what we need to see is that we're baptized because we confessed our sins, we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we were born again. We become new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. We died to our old man. We raised again to our new man. Jesus, however, had no need to be born again. He was in right relationship with his heavenly Father from the very beginning. So why was he baptized? That's what John had a hard time with. Why are you coming to me to be baptized? I need to be baptized by you. So, But Jesus said, 
I, it's, let's do this because it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness, right? So that's why he was baptized, to fulfill all righteousness. Now, you might ask yourself, what is righteousness? Well, we don't have a, a great uh, a t- a time to go through theological books that go through chapters and chapters and not whole books on what righteousness is. But the simple definition of what righteousness is is that which is right in the eyes of God. What does God deem to be correct? What does God deem to be right? So pure and simple, he was being baptized because he believed it was the right thing to do in the eyes of his father. So he was being baptized out of obedience to the will of his father. Like our Lord, we too are asked to get baptized once we've given our lives to God. Like our Lord, baptism is the will of God for our lives and something that we actually are commanded to do. The very first command that we have as a Christian is to be baptized. And so really, we are going to determine by whether or not we obey the Lord's command to be baptized, how we're going to live the Christian life. Are we going to live the Christian life being obedient to what Jesus tells us to do, Or are we going to live the Christian life kind of being obedient to what we feel like we need to do? I don't need to be baptized right now. It's not important for me. I can go, the thief on the cross, he wasn't baptized and he got to heaven. Well, if you get saved while you're on a cross and you're going to die in the next six hours, then uh, that's the exception. But the reality is, Jesus said in Matthew, I mean, the 28, 18 through 20, to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Remember, Jesus said, he that would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. John said, if you love me, he revealed to us in his, not only his epistle, but also in his gospel that Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, right? Mark 16, 15 through 16, Jesus said, go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Now, you say to yourself, well, I can believe and not be baptized. That's true. But again, are you wanting to do the will of God or are you wanting to do what you think is right? That's really what we're talking about. Who gets to determine what is right? Jesus said, this is right in the eyes of God, so I'm going to do it. And we have to learn how to live our life, not by determining. See, we lived all our lives determining what was right in our eyes. Now, we didn't always want to do what was right, but we pretty much figured out. My dad said, this is the right thing to do. Do you do it? No. But my dad said, this is the right thing to do. My mom said, this is the right thing to do. My conscience says, this is the right thing to do. Well, you know what? Your dad can be wrong. Your mom can be wrong. Your conscience can be wrong. But God is not wrong. That's why you have the Word of God. The Word of God teaches us the commands of God, the, 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 the standards of God, the principles of God. And so we may not like it. We may want to fudge on it. We may not want to read it. We may not want to observe it. But the bottom line is they don't change. Right? You can have, uh, listen, <laughs> we just got through the Christmas season. But the reality is, for many of us, we don't want to get on the scale. Because we think the scale lies when it doesn't tell us what we want. But the truth is, 
the scale doesn't lie. It's just we don't like what it says. And the word of God is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. And so we just have to determine how are we going to live this Christian life. Are we going to do what God says to do or are we going to do what we want to do? Proverbs 14 and 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. I don't want to go my way to death. I want to go his way to life. Amen? So as a result of his dedication in baptism to the Lord, Jesus then finds himself receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is baptized in the Holy Spirit, Matthew 3, 16 through 17. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming, upon, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, let me make something clear. Jesus did not need to be born again. When Jesus talked to Nicodemus, he said, to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. Nicodemus didn't understand what that meant. He said, you've got to be born of water, and you've got to be born of the Spirit. In other words, you've got to be a natural man, and then you have to be born a spiritual man as well. The reason we have to do that is because the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're separated from God. So what happens when we're born again is we reconcile to God. We're reconciled through the work that Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. When we become born again, when we confess the Lord, when we believe and put our faith in God and what Christ did on the cross of Calvary, a supernatural experience takes place. It's not just you become a member of a church. It's not just you sign a membership card. It's not just you determine that from this moment on I'm going to start, I'm going to start attending a congregation. No, a spirit of the living God actually lives, comes and indwells you. Your spirit and, and God's spirit become one. And you, you, you're not God and God's not you, but I'm sorry, like, like a wedding, like a, like a marriage. You, you become united, one in relationship. That's what happens when you get born again. Jesus did not need to do that because he was never separated from his father. He wasn't born with sin. He wasn't born separated. He wasn't born dead to the spirit of God. The spirit of God actually is what gave birth to Jesus, and he never sinned. He was a sinless man. He was a sinless person, and so he was never separated from God. So the spirit of God was indwelling him from the moment that, that's why John said, I need to be baptized by you. So what happened when he got baptized? He didn't get saved. He got baptized in the Spirit, he got empowered by the Spirit of God. And then the Bible says after this, depending on which translation you read, I think it's in the book of Luke, it says, then he was filled, full of the Spirit, the, the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness. And when he came out of the wilderness and the temptation, he came empowered by the Spirit of God, okay? We're going to get into that a little bit more, but I just want to give you a key to understand the difference in Jesus' life between what we experience. We must first be born again. When we're born again, the Spirit of God takes up residence inside of us. Well, what happens when we get baptized in the Holy Spirit? And we believe, in, in this church, we believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of the Spirit of God. God did not ask us to do His will without providing for us what we need to be able to accomplish His will. Okay? So, um, let's, uh, Jesus said in Luke 4, 18 through 19, we'll get into that a little bit more, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me, empowered me, graced me to do what? 
to proclaim good news to the poor. So what did the Spirit of God help him to do? To proclaim. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, to proclaim recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the anointing of God, the empowerment of God, the grace of God. Grace is the empowering presence of God that came when the Holy Spirit came upon him. Is what Jesus is saying. That's what's empowering me to be able to do, to proclaim, and to set people free. Jesus' ministry is depicted as being spirit-led and spirit-empowered. We said, well, no, Jesus is the Son of God. Remember what I told you before. That's why that foundation was so important. He is the Son of God. But everything he did on this earth, on this planet, he did as a man empowered by the Spirit of God. Right? So not only is this understanding that Jesus' success in ministry is dependent upon the leading and empowering of the Holy Spirit, but it's also important for us to understand because Jesus is providing us the example of how we as people of God are to function and flow in our commitment to carrying out the will of God in our lives and through our lives. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 4 through Five and then verse 8, and that'll be up there on the screen if you, do, if you don't have it in your Bible. But uh, um, the disciples were with Jesus. He had called them to himself. They were with Jesus for uh, the three and a half years of ministry that he had. And then uh, when Jesus died, he rose again after three days, and then he appeared to the disciples. And in one of the places where he appeared to the disciples, and I don't remember if it's Luke. I think it's Luke. The Bible says he breathed on them. And said, receive the Holy Spirit. It's my contention that when he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit, that is when they actually became born again. The Spirit of God, Jesus, remember, had said, it's imperative to you that I go. Because if I go, then the Spirit of God will come. Well, Jesus, they didn't understand that when Jesus said he was going to go, it was going to be through the process of death and resurrection. But he went. And when he went, he died and was resurrected. And when he died and was resurrected, he went up. And then he breathed the Spirit of God into their lives. And the Spirit of God now resided in each and every one of them. You see, there was only one Jesus walking on the planet. But there's, the Spirit of God is not limited to one. So the Spirit of God, God in spiritual form, can be with us everywhere we are. So the moment that he breathed on them, the Spirit of God came and resided within them. I believe we could safely say that's when they were born again. Now, why is that important? Because then he says, do not leave Jerusalem to the very people that he breathed on. Don't leave Jerusalem until you've been empowered by uh, the Spirit on high, until you receive the promise of my Father. Okay, and that's where he leads us to Acts 1, 4 through 5, and then verse 8. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then verse 8, what happens when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit? He tells them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So whatever Jesus, they, he, Jesus was commanding them to do, go into all the world and make disciples with all nations, he was telling them, you're not going to be able to do this without this power. And then in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, the Bible says when the day of Pentecost arrived, because they were praying in an upper room until the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, 
right? And they were in an upper room, and on the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. What were they doing? They were praying, and while they were praying, the Bible says, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, in Acts 2.38, Peter said, uh, Peter would remember is the one that, that denied the Lord three times. Jesus came back, restored Peter. So I say that to tell you that Peter was bold, but he was also fearful at times, right? But then he was there in the upper room when the Spirit of God came upon him, and to the very people that crucified Jesus, when the Spirit of God was poured out, the people that he was afraid of, and he denied the Lord because of what they could do to him, the very same people, he now gets up on the day of Pentecost, and he begins to proclaim to them, you were the ones that crucified the Lord. And then the Bible says that they were cut to the quick, or they were cut to the heart. And they said, what do we need to do? And Peter tells them, repent, Acts 2.38, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which you see being poured out upon us now, right? So what I'm trying to get us to you to realize is that this very same thing that that happened in Jesus' life is also the prescription for our life. But Jesus, the catalyst for this happening in Jesus' life was his commitment to do the will of God. See, there's a lot of people today, I shouldn't probably get into this. Uh, there's actually a conference going on somewhere next year, I believe. Uh, I, I don't know exactly where it's going to be. But it's called Cessationism. Cessationist Conference. Why? The Spirit of God is no longer poured out today the way it was in the New Testament church, right? So, um, my point in telling you that is that Jesus is not just our Savior and our Lord. He's also our example. If Jesus needed the empowerment of the Spirit of God, and he told the disciples they needed the empowerment of the Spirit of God, we need the empowerment of the Spirit of God, but really it's up to us to be committed to do the will of God, when we see the will of God in Scripture, then we, like Jesus, like the disciples, then we can come to the Lord and we say, I want that too. Because I'm committed to doing your will, and I'm committed to receiving everything that you have for me. Okay? So, second thing we want to look at is Jesus' commitment to his Father. I don't have this in there, but there were times when Jesus said, I think it's Luke 5.19, Luke 12.49. I say whatever I hear my Father saying, and I do what I see my Father doing. Jesus was committed to doing the will of his Father. Jesus, remember, not as God, but as man, what we see Jesus, what happening to Jesus after he was baptized, after the Spirit of God came upon him, is his dedication was tested. In Luke 4, 1 through 15, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. Uh, actually, one, we'll just do 1 and 2. Uh, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness uh, for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Now, I want you to see here, because sometimes we read something, but our mind says something else. It, Jesus is not led by the enemy to be tested. He's led by the Spirit, to be tested. 
Why? Well, you know, we could speculate all day long. There are perhaps a myriad of reasons for this happening. One reason worth mentioning that we'll bring out today that applies to us as well today could be that he was led into it to test whether he was truly dedicated to the walk that was set before him. Remember Abraham? Right? God gave Abraham his promise. Isaac. Isaac's growing up. And then God said, Abraham, I want you to go sacrifice your son Isaac. How many of us would have said, nope? Now remember, Isaac is not just his son. Isaac is his promise. Isaac is what he had been believing God for. Isaac was his future. Isaac was everything that God had promised him in life, and now God says, are you willing to give me that? And Abraham was willing. So we do go through testings at times, but the testing is not for God to know what's in our heart. The testing is for us to know what's in our heart. Does God already know what's in your heart? Of course he knows what's in your heart. But we need to know what's in our heart. Because if we don't know what's in our heart, you know what? If you put gold into a, uh, 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 what's called a refiner's fire into a crucible, and you begin to heat it up, you think, wow, that gold's pretty good. It's, 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 it's pretty uh, uh, pure. And then you heat it up, and all of a sudden, all these impurities come to the top. Now, what a lot of people do is when they see the, all the impurities, they say, oh, forget it. Forget it. I, I, this is too hard. It's, I don't, I don't want to do this. But what God wants to do is when the impurities come to the top, is he wants us to, to allow him to scrape off those impurities in our life so that we can become more pure. And, uh, First Peter says, our faith, which is of greater worth than gold, is uh, uh, purified through fire. We grow stronger. We grow closer. It doesn't mean that when we go through difficult situations or we get tempted that we always uh, triumph in the sense that we never fail or we never fall down or we never make mistakes. But we do learn oftentimes what we lack. And it's not that we can now work on the areas that we lack. Sometimes it is that. But sometimes it's, Lord, this is a weak area of my life. Help me, Lord, to, to accomplish what you want in my life. I, when I am weak, you are strong. I need to recognize this is a weak area of my life. It's not that you'll make me strong like other people in this area, but you can help me to protect myself in this area by bringing people around me, by putting myself in situations where this weakness in my life doesn't become a place where the enemy can bring me down. Right? Okay, I know I'm going off on a little tangent here, but, but I think it's important for us to realize that, that God oftentimes will lead us through testings. I, li I was reading something by John G. Lake, which really kind of sparked this. And I'm going to read it's a, it's, a, it's a little lengthier illustration, but I think you'll like it. So Jesus was led into the wilderness not by the devil, but by the Holy Ghost. Isn't that a strange thing that the Holy Ghost led him into the wilderness? What for? To meet the devil. Why? To try him whether he was going to be an overcomer or not. To see whether he meant what he said at the Jordan. Come on now. Similarly, when we come to the Lord, no, went too far. Yeah. 
Similarly, when we come to the Lord, we find that we too are tested, and what we often see is that many will fall away during this time of testing. Have you all ever known people that come to church, they make, oh man, they get moved, they give me a commitment to the Lord, I'm going to serve God. You understand what it means? Yeah, I understand what it means, I'm going to serve God. And then all of a sudden, they get out, and they go out, and then life gets hard. Right? In fact, if you look in the book of Luke, chapter 8, verses 13 through 15, and I put the NASB up here because it, it brings up what I wanted to show. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and they have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in a time of temptation, they fall away. In Matthew, it says, when they were afflicted because of the word, because of your commitment to serve the word of God, oftentimes the word of God, the commitment we make, will be challenged. Right? When I, when I first uh, uh, went to high school, I was a chubby, small, pudgy little kid. I wanted to join the tennis team. Right? So this short, fat little kid wanted to play tennis, and then you had other people, these were freshmen, they were playing tennis, and they weren't short and fat. They were trim. They were thin. They were, you know, whatever, and they looked good. They dressed the part and all that kind of stuff. And this short, fat, little, chubby kid wearing huskies shows up, <laughs> and he says, I want to play, right? Now, what you don't realize, I, I, at that particular time, I'd played a little bit. I could play a little bit. I was starting to do that. But because of what I look like, I was afflicted by the people around me. Right? You don't need to be here. You don't need to be playing tennis. You're going to bring us down. You're going to do this. And the reality is, I had to determine, was I committed to this sport or not? Was I committed to do what God asked me to do? No. I, I, was, thinking, I was thinking too far ahead. Was I committed to do what I had determined to do? Because God didn't. Now, I wasn't a Christian yet, right? So when I got, I, I did... And I ended up playing tennis. I started in my freshman year. I played all the way through high school. I even went on a scholarship to junior college. I won District 5A tennis as a, as a singles in, 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 in my tennis team. But had I quit when I was tested, I never would have done that. Right? And what the test... Now, if I had quit and gone and done something else, didn't mean I was a failure. It just mean I wouldn't have accomplished what I had determined what I was going to do. Now, when I became a Christian, I, st I got saved, started going to church. And when I got saved and started going to church, I, uh, I was playing soccer. I was still an athlete, so I was still playing tennis. I was still playing soccer. Not so much tennis anymore, but more soccer at the particular time. And guess when soccer games are? Sunday morning. Good news. Church had Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night service, right? So I could still play soccer on Sunday, go to Sunday night, Wednesday night, right? Unfortunately for me, people said that I needed to pray, and dummy me, I prayed. I went into my closet, because the Bible says, go into your closet. Nobody told me not, it's not literal. Cleaned out a little part of my closet, moved a couple of mice out of the side, got in there, you know, and I prayed. And during one of those times of prayer, the Lord spoke to me, he said, I want you to go to church on Sunday morning. Oh, this is not going to go over good with my soccer team. It's not going to go over good with my dad because my dad was, he was really into soccer. Hey, hey, hey. You know, well, are you committed to do, you know, that's just the thing. Are you committed to do what you committed yourself to do? So 
I thought about it for a little bit, and I said, yeah, I want to do that. So then I had to show up on Sunday morning, and I had to deal with all the stuff, right? I'm not going to be playing soccer anymore. Why? They already think I'm, uh, you know, you're crazy for becoming a Christian. Then they was like, okay, be a Christian. Just don't be a fanatic, you know, a Christian. And now I show up, and I want to quit soccer, right? Oh, man, that church is telling you you have to quit soccer if you want to be a Christian. No, they're not telling me that at all. Why are you quitting soccer? Because the Lord spoke to me. He told me, I want, to go to ch- I want you to go to church on Sunday morning. Okay, so I, I, I leave my, my, uh, my soccer shoes there metaphorically, and they all say to me, well, don't they have church on Sunday night? Yeah. Don't they have church on Wednesday night? Yeah. He said, so can't you just go to church on Sunday night and Wednesday night? Yeah. He said, well, why are you quitting soccer? Because the Lord asked me to. It wasn't a religious thing. He said, I want you to go to church. He really didn't ask me to. He said, this is what I want you to do. And it was really up to me to determine whether I was going to do what he said to do. Didn't mean it was easy. It wasn't hard. But at the same time, it was a decision that I had to make. Another, I'm just giving you illustrations, okay, if I do that. Okay, so another illustration uh, that, that I was thinking about just right now is when uh, another thing that I did, stupid me. I'm not stupid. I'm just, it's a, it's a, figure, a figurative way of talking, okay? So anyway, um, uh, hyperbole. So uh, I, I, they told me to tithe, to give, to tithe, you know? And so I'd been born again. I had an experience with God. I'm going to do whatever the Lord wants me to do. So I started giving. Now, back then, I didn't have a big job. I, I think I worked at that particular time. Uh, I had little small jobs. Um, I was working at a paint store one time. I was working for a pest controller at one time. Um, you know, I was just doing odd jobs here and there. But the, they taught me. Scripture says to give, so I started giving. And I gave from the moment that, uh, that, that I started earning checks and I was taught to do that, I, I started giving. I gave tithes 10% of my, my money. So anyway, I've done that all my life, got married, we gave. And then, um, then we got a house and we were able to buy a house. That particular time was like, I think the house cost $79,000. Uh, nowadays, uh, you can probably buy a shed at Home Depot for that much. But uh, it was uh, our first house and it served us okay. And then um, when we came to time to sell the house, I think we sold the house for $115,000. So I was committed always to giving to the Lord what he's given to us. So I didn't give 10% of $115,000. I gave the profit that we earned. And so after we paid for the house and everything that we needed to pay, I think we were left with like $25,000 in profit. And I said, well, I'm going to tie them 25. My wife was in agreement. We tie them 20. I go write the check. And then when I write the check, there's the devil right there. Well, God didn't say you had to tithe on that. He just said you had to tithe on your income. This really isn't income. You could do a whole lot more stuff with that. You know, there's other things you can do with that. And, you know, and I'm sitting there for a little while, you're not careful. You start thinking, yeah, that sounds pretty good, Right? I think you're right, because really it's not a paycheck. An income is when I go earn a paycheck. This is just profit. But see, I had already committed that this is what I was going to do. I'm not telling you guys to do this, right? I'm just telling what I did, and it's what I would still do, and it's what I continue to do. So anyway, I was like, it was a, it was a battle there for a little while, you know? Um, it wasn't a long battle. In my mind, it was a battle, a couple of minutes or whatever the case may be. But finally, I got, no, I've always done this. I'm going to continue to do this, and I wrote the check. 
And when I wrote the check and put it in the, in the box, the Lord spoke to me. And he said, you will never have a problem giving again. Something was broken in my life that day, right? But I had to be committed to, to follow through on what I had committed to do. It's kind of like people that, this isn't a message on money. Y'all are here on Wednesday night. That's not a problem for most of y'all. So the reality is, is people say, I'm, I'm going to trust God and I'm going to start giving. Okay, so if you're making $50 a week, you know, where I was making $50 a week, $5. Okay, $5 is not too bad. I'll give $5, right? And the Lord prospers you because he said he'll prosper you. And you start making $500. Okay, $500, $50, yeah, right, $50, right? You're doing pretty good. And then all of a sudden, uh, you start making $5,000 a week. And all of a sudden, $500, say, well, that's a lot of money to give to the church. Right? Not realizing the Lord is prospering you. Because you've been committed to do as well. And then you get to the $500. This is actually a little story. A, a guy did that. He got to the 500 He said, well, I'm not so sure. That's a lot of money to give to the church. And the Lord spoke to him. He said, well, if you're having a hard time with the 500 I'll take you back down to 50 And he said, no, Lord. And he wrote the check for 500 <laughs> So anyway, uh, you know, um, there is going to be testing as Christians. And we're going to have to make a decision, are we committed to this? And you see, you can be committed to giving to heaven, but not experience the fullness of God in your life because you're not committed to doing all his will. I'm going to do just enough to get to heaven, right? But you don't see the will of God manifest in your uh, uh, finances, you don't see the will of God manifest in your relationships, you don't see the will of God manifest in your health, you don't see the will of God manifested in your marriage, you don't see the will of God manifested, you don't see it in your children. Why? Because you're not committed to do all His will. You're just committed to do just enough to get to heaven. And I want to tell you something, you'd be careful with that, because what if your determination of what is just enough is not His determination? I'd hate to be finding that out when it's too late, right? And can I tell you something? I've been committed to serving God. I'm, I'm committed to serving. Now, have I always done it well? No. Have I been perfect in it? No. But I'm still committed to serving God, right? And I wanted people to say, well, you know, you're missing out on so much. What am I missing out on? I remember what it was like before I got saved. Am I missing out on, man, we had so much fun last night. I've done that before, and I woke up, and I didn't know I got home. Scared the living daylights out of me. I woke up, and my sink was full of throw up because I threw up all the stuff that I did. He said, what am I missing? Tell me what I'm missing. What's so fun about this? People living out in the world, we're all adults. You know, am I going to get an STD? Am I, uh, you know, am I going to get AIDS? Is this going to happen to me? What am I missing? I like the life I live. I have problems, but I don't have to deal with all that mess because I'm committed to serving God. Right? We're committed to serving God. And I want to tell you something. If I get to heaven and I could have done something else and still got to heaven, I don't regret the life that I live. I like my life. I enjoy my life. And, uh, and so I've lost, I've lost nothing. I've gained everything. And I want to encourage you to think a little bit differently. Anyway, getting back to John G. Lake. A woman recently saved was afterwards in despair. 
everything had gone wrong from the time that she was converted. She was married to a wretch of a man. He told her if she was going to be a Christian, he was through, and he walked away. The next thing she knew, her best friend went insane. Then her mother gave her heart to God, and she had not been a Christian for a week before her husband came home and said, what has happened to you? She told him that she found God, and he said, goodbye, and that was the last they saw of him. Then she had her mother and the insane friend to care for. She was distracted and driven. One day in the agony of her despair, she was ready to throw up her hands, and she just said, oh, God, after all I've experienced, there's nothing else for me to do. I'm going back into the world. About that time, the Spirit said to me, John Z. Lake's writing this, go over to Salmon Street right away. I drove over and met her. As she came down the steps, I reached out my hand and asked, as I saw the cloud on her face, well, how is it? She replied, don't mention it. It is hell. Is this what folks get for being Christians? I said, I do not know, dear sister, but one thing is dead sure. When you get through this, you'll know whether you're a Christian or not. And then I urged, dear little woman, this is not the time to throw up your hands in the midst of the battle. Any fool can do that. You win this battle and then go and backslide. She answered, all right, I'll stick to this battle for two weeks. I said, that's a bargain. At the end of the two weeks, I said, now, dear sister, you go and backslide. And she smiled and said, I don't think so. The little insane friend was healed. The dear old mother was healed. Some friends discovered what was going on and filled their house with the sick, and they were healed. It pays to go through with God. First, Jesus dedicated all his being, body, soul, and spirit to God the Father. Next, the Holy Spirit came upon him. He entered the temptation filled with spirit. After that 40 days of fasting and temptation in the wilderness, our scripture reference tells us that he returned from the battle in the power of the Spirit. When, what then we find is the commitment of the Lord to the work of his Father. The Lord's fasting implied that he was praying to the Father during this time of testing. In his resistance to the temptations, he, we find the consecration of the Lord to the things of his Father. After the time of prayer and consecration, we find that he was not only comforted and ministered to by angels, but he also received an upgrade in power. That brings us to our third point. Jesus ministers in power. Now, I'm running out of time. You want me to stop here? I can stop here. You don't see any kids? Okay, I'll see, try to get through as fast as I can. So Jesus ministers in power. And then it says in Matthew 4, 23-24, He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. So here's the thing that, that I liked, and I hope you like it. When Jesus went into the wilderness, he had the Spirit. But after he went through the testing, the Spirit had him. Every child of God has the Spirit in a degree. But after they've gone through with God, the Spirit has them. John 14 and 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Matthew 10, 1, and then verse 7, he called to him his 12 disciples, gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction, and proclaim as you go. In verse 7, it says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out devils. You receive without paying, give without pay. Mark 16, 17 through 18, and again, I'm just showing you what 
the Lord wants us as his people to be doing. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will speak up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Acts 4, 29 through 30. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You see, the disciples had gone through with Jesus. They'd done what the Lord said. They stood the tests. They received the power. And now look at what's happening in their lives and through their lives. Acts 5, 12 through 16. Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest there joined them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out to the, the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. That's what's supposed to be happening today. In your life, in my life, in our church. What does it require? Commitment. It'll mean that we'll be tested. But if we come through the testing, it'll mean that we'll be empowered. Some of you all go through different testings than others. But the area of your testing often becomes the place of victory for other people. Not just for you, but for others. It's kind of like the Lord spoke to me uh, one time. You know, I've been pursuing God for healing in my back. I, I do find that I'm, I'm getting better, you know. Um, but there's going to be a time. I, he spoke to me just last week. I'm going to heal your wife, and I'm going to heal you. Spoke to me as clear as a bell. But I remember praying about, why is it taking so long, God? Why do everybody, other people get uh, healed, you know, right away? And I'm just keeping pursuing, pursuing. And, I'm, uh, and he gave me a different picture. He said, Rick, you're digging a well. And when you hit, not only are you going to be able to drink from it, but people are going to come from all over and they're going to drink from that well. And see, that's what happens when we, when we're, if you were an a oil man or a gas man, I'm not talking about someone that eats a lot of beans. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you scratch that. Hey, eliminate that from the tape, okay? If you were a gas man or an oil man or a mineral man, you know, you got to dig, right? You don't always, it doesn't always like present itself in places that are easy. You got to be committed to keep drilling. Even water, you got to be committed to keep drilling. Here we find water a little bit easier than other places, but it could be 500 feet down, 1,500 feet down, 2,000 feet down. You got to be committed to dig. How many people quit before they hit, right? Just keep believing, keep walking out. That's what Abraham did, kept believing, kept walking, kept walking it out. Finally, after 25 years, he received the, the fulfillment of the promise that God had. Now, I'm not saying it's going to take you 25 years. I don't want to believe that for you. I'm believing that as soon as we pray for you, you'll receive whatever it is that God has for your life. But don't quit if it doesn't come right away. Keep walking it out. Keep believing because I believe whatever thing you're going through, whatever struggle you have, when you hit... When you experience the breakthrough, it's not just for you. It's for those around you. You can bring that victory into their lives as well.
So let me finish. In Christ, God became man, was born into this world to redeem mankind. As a man, Jesus was committed, tested, and empowered in his earthly walk as he carried out his purpose and destiny for his life. He lived it and accomplished the mission he was sent to do. In the same way, we too must recognize that as our example, Jesus is not only showing us the way the Christian life unfolds for us as disciples, but also that like him, we too can overcome and live the life of purpose and destiny we're called to live in carrying out the will of God in this life. There was part of that scripture about the uh, parable uh, of the, the sower that I didn't read that I thought was important. Um, let's see if I can find it. So it was in Luke, right? Let's see if it's on the first page. Nope. Come here, Luke. I'm done, by the way. I just, I just thought it's important for you to see this, okay? So, um, parable of the sower. I did read that. Now, here it is. The seed in the good soil. How many of y'all want to be good soil? You know, let's talk about our hearts. These are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good report and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance endurance. They see it through until it brings forth fruit. And I want to encourage you. Don't quit. Sometimes the greatest character trait you can have as a Christian is to keep on walking when everything around you tells you to quit. Just keep believing God. Well, my, my, my wife doesn't want to come to church with me anymore. Keep going to church. My kids don't want to go. Keep going to church. Now they're making fun of me. Keep going to church. Keep believing God. Keep standing on God's promise. Don't quit. Don't, don't stop. Keep being steadfast, persevere, because in due time you will see the manifestation. You will see the manifestation of God's promise in your life. It's coming. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.